our third week of Jesus at the table. And today we're talking about the time Jesus threw a party for 5,000 people. It's a real party guy. I've been super curious for a while why Jesus spent so much time at the table. Because the way the story goes in the gospel books, especially Luke, it seems like Jesus was basically always eating. And that's one of my favorite things about Jesus. He doesn't seem like he was so busy healing people that he constantly forgot to eat. I don't know how anyone does that. I have this thing called the stomach. It usually tells me that it wants to eat about every two hours. Jesus was a traveling preacher. And so he was always having dinner at someone else's house. So he always had time to sit around get to know other people around a table, letting them know him. And what I see is that in his time around other people's tables, that was the place where he built his community of followers who would go on to change the world and eventually change our lives too. And so in this season of our church's life, our vision is building a loving spirit-centered community. And I think we find in these stories of Jesus around the table that he was also building a loving, Holy Spirit-centered community. So I think there's an invitation in these stories for us to see what Jesus was doing and try to repeat it. And and I want to clearly state that part of my intention for this series is to inspire you to have more people over to your home to share a meal with you. Jesus' life is a model for how we can experience true community in our homes with other people that are just as imperfect and not put together as you. And that's not the only way we do community, but it's something I want to inspire you towards. And two weeks ago, I shared about Matthew, the tax collector, and he left his corrupt and dodgy life behind to say yes to Jesus' invitation to come follow him. And we talked about how that story shows us that in the community Jesus was building, we don't reject broken people, we pursue them. We ask the Holy Spirit to help us see where God is moving in a person's life. And then we welcome them into our loving community with knownness, which means we invite them into our lives. And last Sunday, Justin preached a kick-butt message about Jesus having dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house and how a woman with a bad rep came in. She burst into tears and put perfume on Jesus' feet and started wiping it off with her hair, and it was just as weird for them as it is for us to read it. And what we learned in that message is that Jesus used the dinner table to redefine what matters And who matters? Because in that story, when the dinner party was over, Jesus had given this woman of low value in society honor and worth. He lifted her up. And he showed Simon and his friends that they needed to come down from their high position and learn how to be like her. What Jesus was doing that night at the table was reordering the social value system around what matters to God. The first are last, and the last are first. The big idea last week was that in the community Jesus is building, we lovingly reject false value assessments. 
And the reason Jesus went around making friends with people like Matthew and this woman is because in the community of Israel, which was the people of God, like us, people had gotten divided between who's in and who's out, who deserves God's grace and who's not worth God's time. And that's just like our culture. And honestly, like most church cultures. And Jesus was making it obvious by who he spent time with that in the community he was building, it didn't work that way. We're not going to be like that. And listen, following Jesus comes at a cost. And in this area, the cost is getting to know and care about people who you do not currently know, who are not like you. And if you're going to be honest, you are secretly judgy toward And that's hard work. Building loving, spirit-centered community is effort. Because it's really easy to come here on Sunday and chat with your three friends and, and then leave and hang out with your one friend at work and your one friend on Friday night and repeat and repeat and repeat. I mean, how many people have you been coming to church with for as long as you've been coming to branches and you don't even know their name? If building community was easy... Jesus wouldn't have made such a point of it. And imagine how much harder this was for the disciples of Jesus who actually had to follow him around, Peter and John and Mary Magdalene. I mean, I'm betting the whole first year of his ministry, they were embarrassed to be seen with him. Jesus made the disciples go everywhere with him so they could learn on the job. That's what discipling means. And so at Matthew's, he's having this dinner party with all the people in town you don't want to be seen with, but Jesus said, follow me. So apparently that meant to Matthew's party central. And and where we pick up today in Luke 9, they've been following Jesus around for a while now. And, And he's going around Galilee preaching about the kingdom of God. They're having meals in people's homes. And now Jesus says, all right, you've shouted me enough. You're going to take a trial run by yourself. You're going, to, you're going to do this yourself. And so that's where we pick up in our passage. One day Jesus called together his 12 disciples and gave them power and authority to cast out all demons and to heal all diseases. And then he sent them out to tell everyone about the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for your journey, he instructed them. Don't take a walking stick, a traveler's bag, food, money, or even a change of clothes. Wherever you go, stay in the same house until you leave town. So Jesus sends his disciples out with a measure of the Holy Spirit's power. And he says, do everything I've been doing. But why would Jesus tell them not to bring anything? That seems kind of weird and random, and I imagine there's some cultural stuff here I don't understand yet. But one reason is it's because that's exactly what Jesus had been doing. Jesus, who is God, walked long hours and got to little towns tired and sweaty and hungry with nothing in his traveler's bag. And he waited for someone to invite him and his disciples in. That's how it worked. Jesus knew that when you have nothing... It puts you in a position of need and needing hospitality from open-hearted strangers who become friends and then followers. And in that position, you learn to trust God to provide for you through their hospitality. So let's say they roll into a little village and after they gather a little crowd and 
preach and do some ministry time, heal some people. Someone comes over and says like, hey, come stay at my house. It's not much, but I'll give you dinner and a place to lay your head. Now let's say that you get there and it's like, boy, you weren't kidding. Dinner is cabbage soup and my spot on the floor is next to your wiggly three-year-old, you know? like. And then imagine the next day, you're out in the same town preaching and now somebody else comes up to you, invites you to come over to stay, only they look like they might be able to put some chicken in their soup. And Jesus did not want them to take the better offer and shame their original host. He wanted them to receive gratefully whatever was given to them and build relationship with that one family. He wanted their actions to communicate, what you have is enough. And Jesus was instructing them to put themselves in a place of intentional vulnerability where they would have to trust God to provide their needs and believe whatever that they received was enough. Jesus was teaching them to depend on God in a way that brings a new kind of abundance. In our story today, we're learning that a loving, spirit-centered community is a place of abundance. Let's keep going in our story. We're going to skip down to verse 10. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. And then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Okay, let's set this up a little bit. The author of this book of the New Testament is Luke, and every author of the Gospels took true stories about Jesus and told them from a certain angle, not changing the story or adding to it, but highlighting some details more than others in order to help us see some really cool stuff that was happening in Jesus' life. So in this story, Luke is highlighting how Jesus is the Messiah, the true prophet and king of Israel, by showing, by comparison, how Jesus is greater than Israel's greatest prophet, Moses, and greater than another prophet who is right up there with him, Elisha. So let me show you what I mean. In the Old Testament, Moses, the great prophet, he led the people out of slavery in Egypt. And once they cross the Red Sea, they're in the desert and there's no food there. And what does God do? God rains down miraculous food for them every day called manna. And they survive on that for 40 years. And it's a miracle food, which is amazing. And it shows up every day, but it's like 
just enough. They're just supposed to gather enough for one day. And if they keep it overnight, it's already rotten by the morning. So then there's this practice every day that they do of gathering just enough. Just what they need that day for their daily bread. And then there's this other story about the prophet Elisha, which I had never noticed before. And Joel Green pointed it out in his commentary. So I'm going to read this to you. And I want you to notice how similar it is to Jesus' miracle. 1 Kings 4, 42. Now a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits. So 20 loaves of barley and fresh grain in his sack. And Elisha said, give them to the people that they may eat. But his attendant said, how am I to serve a hundred men? Nevertheless, he said, give them the Give them to the people so they may eat, for this is what the Lord says. They shall eat and have some left over. So he served it to them, and they ate and had some left over in accordance with the word of the Lord. So here's what Luke is highlighting. In this miracle of multiplying a tiny amount of food into enough for 5,000 people, Jesus was showing himself to be a prophet far greater than Moses with his manna, and far greater than Elisha. Moses' manna was just enough. Elisha's 20 barley loaves multiplied to feed 100 people with some leftover. And that's cool, but the proportions were way different. Jesus made enough bread and fish for 5,000 people with a dozen baskets of leftovers. And the point was that Jesus, the Messiah, the one who was bringing God's kingdom to earth, was demonstrating the abundance of the kingdom. Not just enough for everyone, but more than enough abundantly more. And see, there's this other Old Testament throwback that Luke is highlighting here because the prophets Amos and Isaiah had foretold that when the Messiah came, there would be a huge feast in Israel with rich, abundant food for all the people of the world. A huge party. Now imagine the party atmosphere that is happening out in the wilderness that day when Jesus did this miracle. At some point, people had to start noticing that a ton of food was showing up out of nowhere. And they knew enough about Jesus to know that he's the one behind it. And I can just picture at some point everyone is laughing and chucking bread rolls at each other because there's just so much bread. Like, how are we possibly going to eat all this bread? It was a party. And, you know, I actually think that we um, experience this miracle all the time. I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but when you go to a Mexican restaurant, a basket of chips appears out of nowhere. And like you're thinking, you order your food, and you know that meal is going to be more than enough, but you're going to smash that basket of chips in like five minutes. And then the wait person comes again, and they're like, I have more chips for you. And you're thinking, I really shouldn't. I'm going to be so full by the time my lunch comes, but you're going to eat those chips, you know? And then maybe like you've had your meal and then they come around like chips. And at that point you're like, get out of here with your chips. Quit pushing your chips on me. You know, I imagine that people were like, thank you. I've had enough bread. That was a good tuna fish sandwich. (laughs) But Jesus was showing that when the kingdom comes, it comes with abundance. Jesus was causing in his own person the kingdom to break through in this tangible way by multiplying a loaf of bread by a thousand, five times. 
This enormous meal was a macro example of every little meal that Jesus had with people. The reason it was special that Jesus shared meals with so many people was that in their home, receiving their hospitality of a simple supper, the kingdom of God came at that table. In equal measure to the way when it came when he healed people of disease or set them free of oppression. Not because the host had great food, but because he was with them. And because his very presence emanated abundance. And this is what Jesus wanted the disciples to understand. So that they could begin to see abundance differently. Because they're the ones who came to Jesus with a plan. With a solution. Like, let's send these people away, Jesus. It's been a long day. We've done enough work. But what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? He says, you feed them. You feed them. And he's being a little cryptic. I think he wanted the disciples to like figure it out. Like, oh, Jesus is doing the thing. Okay, Jesus, how are we going to feed them? It's been a long day of ministry and they had left town quietly earlier that day, probably hoping for some downtime and they did not get it. So they don't take the bait. They just did what we would do in the same situation, which is get less patient and more sarcastic. They say, Jesus said, you feed them. And they're like, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Or are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? Jesus tells them to feed everyone and they go straight to problem solving. Do you want us to buy food for all these people? Okay. Hey, Applebee's, you got room for a party of 5,000? Nope. Well, Jesus looks like the only possible solution is to send them on their way. Water walker, miracle worker. Dead razor. And isn't this exactly what we do? Maybe I should just speak for myself. I have a problem or an opportunity and I instantly start sizing it up based on whether I do or do not have the resources to fix it. What's it going to take? How do I fix this? And usually my answer is, I just don't have enough. Sorry, Jesus, I can't do it. I tried. And like the disciples, we lack imagination for how Jesus could provide through us about what he could do with just the little bit we have. Because in our culture, we think of abundance as wealth, as having a lot of money, a lot of time, a lot of magical unicorn patience, a lot of resources. And that's not what he was talking about when he said, you feed them. And I wonder how much kingdom abundance we miss out on because we lack creativity for how God might show up. What kind of abundance might Jesus want to offer through you to that person who keeps showing up in your life, at your work or near your locker or at the soccer field that you haven't paid that much attention to because you're not all that interested in them? What if you held their name up to Jesus and said, Do you want to create abundance for this person through me? What kind of abundance might God be offering through you to that friend who's in a place of high need right now and you just feel like you have nothing left to give them? And what kind of abundance might God be offering to you through your child who's sucking all the joy out of your life right now? If you could just hold them up to Jesus and say, multiply my love 
What kind of outpouring of the Holy Spirit might happen in our church services if we all showed up and said, hey, Jesus, it's just tired, worn out me, but I'm going to worship you with everything I've got. I'm going to be sensitive to what your Spirit's doing this morning, and if you tell me something, I'm going to obey And see, there's some play here between the part of the chapter we read at the beginning where Jesus sent out the 12 to minister and told them to receive hospitality from just one family and not seek something better. And in doing so, trusting God to meet their needs like daily bread through the hospitality of their host. And then the situation turns. And there, the hosts out in the wilderness... And 5,000 people need to be fed, and now they're the ones with empty pockets. It's a turning of the tables. And Jesus showed up and showed them how he is able to take our tiny little bit and make it abundant, more than enough, bread for everyone. And that's what Jesus wants us to understand, too. A loving, spirit-centered community is a place of abundance. But what Jesus wants is for that abundance to be served up through us. What you have is truly just enough. But what Jesus does through what you have is abundance. The spirit is the magic that turns a simple meal into a sacred space of welcome and knownness. Our church, our Life groups, our workspace, and especially our homes and our tables can and should be the place where people find their true value. These spaces are where we pour out the kind of abundance on people that Jesus did when he fed 5,000 people. And I think we'll find that if we say yes to that in, in our home, around our table, other circumstances in our life, we'll experience a little bit of the kingdom coming there. It's vulnerable to open up your heart and home to people when you're not sure what you have will be good enough. But Jesus wants us to hold up our little bit and say, how do you want to make this abundant? So as we wrap up, I want to invite you to take your next step. This is only our third week doing this, so I'm going to explain it again. But what we're doing is every week we take a next step at the end of our sermon. And I would like you to participate in this uh, as a way of just helping your mind engage with what you, um, the next step you need to take is. So you're going to reach into the seat back pocket in front of you and get out the orange connect card. If, you, um, if this is your first Sunday and you haven't filled yours out, this would be a great time to do it. For everyone, you're going to flip it over. And on the back side, you'll see the section that says, Today my next step is. And once you've filled it out, you can either keep it and put it on your dash or your fridge or something if that's helpful, or you can tuck it in the offering box on your way out. And as a staff, we're going to pray for you that Jesus would help you take that next step. And so one way you might do that is um, by asking Jesus, who is that person in my life that keeps showing up in my life? Or this child I'm at wit's end with? Or this friend that I don't have anything left for? Or this person in my life that I don't feel like I'm enough with? And write down their name and just hold them up to Jesus in your heart during our ministry time and say, how are you go- how are you wanting to bring abundance in this relationship? 
and in our church family. We're small, you know, we're struggling after COVID like everyone else. But if we believe in the abundance of the kingdom, we'll be all in for this church family, believing that God can do anything through us. And maybe you need to hold yourself up as a member of branches and say, Holy Spirit, what ways do you want to bring abundance out of how I'm giving myself to this church family? Or what ways do you want me to start abundantly giving of myself to this church family? In your home, you know, who is the person that you need to invite over for a meal? That goes to this church family that you don't know this well, that well, or that person at your work that you need to ask out to coffee? What is their name? Write it down or write down their initials and then spend time praying for that. When we invite people in for a meal or for coffee, it distinctly says, I want to know you. And that's abundant. Give that some thought. Give that some prayer. We're going to go into our, um, our ministry time. And during our ministry time, um, that's like a, a space that we set aside every week in our service. 